0: Before we put our bad therapist hat on, we have got to tell you about a super special project we've been working on with our favorite, Jane. This is just for listeners of Am I a Bad Therapist? So keep listening to learn more about how you can get your hands on some super fun bad therapist swag.
1: You should know by now that we have talked all about how amazing Jane is and how easy it was for both of us to switch. So whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating.
0: And that's why the Jane team provides you with all of the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth and quick as possible.
1: Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. If you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have
0: access to unlimited phone, email,
1: and chat support, including in your Jane subscription.
0: And now, if you mention the code BADTHERAPIST when you switch, not only do you get the 30-day grace period on your account, but you also get swag for switching. This
1: swag is amazing with collaborative branding from Amaya Bad Therapist and Jane, and it is so cute if we do say so ourselves. I had the opportunity to design all of the swag, and
0: I made sure to design it just for therapists. And let me tell you, this is the stuff therapists love. We're talking sticky notes, coffee mugs, hats, you know, the good stuff.
1: And Jane has never done this before, so you do not wanna miss out on this one. You can get a preview of the swag if you head over to our Instagram at abadtherapistpod and see for yourself.
0: If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app and don't forget to use the code badtherapist at sign up when you make the switch to get that one month grace period on your new Jane account And the swag for switching to Jane. Have you
1: ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist.
0: And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist. And this is Am I a Bad Therapist?
1: Join us each week
0: for stories from behind the closed therapy door you'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is
1: a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in
0: similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy,
1: we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about.
2: what would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Han's Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. So as therapists, people who don't know, I'm going to put you in this, category, Allie, who don't know us, think that we have our lives in order. But when you get to know any therapist, you quickly realize that they are their own best patient sometimes.
1: Yeah. I feel like it comes up all the time where people are like, you're a therapist. Like, you must have it all together. You must practice all the skills. And while we know them, We may or may not always use them, but it takes effort to actually do the work that we talk about so often, and we were so excited to hear from Jonathan, who is a BCBA, which we were excited to have on the show with the new take for us, and just talking about how sometimes we have to put the work in for ourselves
0: to be present. And it's a lot harder than you think. So stay tuned to hear about Jonathan. And before we do, this is just a reminder that this is not a substitute for ethical guidance, clinical consultation, or bad therapy because we don't endorse bad therapy.
1: All right. Well, this is episode number 88 of Am I a Bad Therapist? We're calling this one ABA This. Let's get into it.
0: Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? How are you today?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Before we get into your story, can you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners?
2: Yes, of course. So I am a behavior analyst. I have been in the field of behavior analysis for uh, 15 years now. I started, uh, what got me into it was really an internship that I did back During my undergraduate studies and my, the bulk of my experience really is working with families and children diagnosed with autism and related conditions. And as of late now, through my own private practice, uh, I've been using the science of uh, behavior science to improve quality of life outside of of the spectrum through the application of behavior analysis.
1: That's so cool. We can't wait to hear more about your journey through the BCBA work and everything, but what? let's get into it. What's the story you're going to share with us that made you question, am I
2: a bad therapist? Well, I would say maybe third or fourth year into my career as a behavior therapist, I started to struggle a little with my mental health and health in general and in truth of thinking patterns, fear, anxiety, um, and ultimately- It was affecting the quality of therapy that I was providing. But more than that, it was also affecting the quality of life in general. So, you know, at one point I did think to myself, like, am I fit to render services? Am I fit to be of help to Mm. individuals that need need the most support as possible, right? So it was a a crucial part of my life, I would say.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about how you know, as much detail or vagueness as you feel comfortable, uh, how did your mental health, how did you see it impacting your work and your work with clients?
2: It just felt like I was never present, right? Uh, As opposed Mm -hmm. to the earlier version of myself where I was very uh, functional, multitasky, very can troubleshoot with families. Um, And I was just very present and available for families, reliable. And then during that span where My mental health was affected, and my overall health was affected. I just felt like my mind was preoccupied with the situation that was going on. My inconsistencies, Um, and I was just wasn't there emotionally available for families and for the children that I was working with, Um, because I was going, I was in the process of trying to figure out myself and and trying to get myself help so that I can be okay, so that I can be okay for others. Right. So you know, it was it was it was a long process. But, you know, little by little, I, you know, things started to clear up for me. And then ultimately I did, you know, we'll touch on that, but I definitely got to the point where, you know, I noticed that a lot of the answers were right in front of me as a therapist. Yeah. So it was definitely a situation that it, was, it, it took a, lot, a long process, but it was a very helpful one and it helped me, you know, get to where I am today.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's so interesting. I feel like this comes up where, you know, I mean, this is true for many jobs, not just ours. But when you work with people, if you're having an off day, it's really hard to have an off day with the work that we do because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, again, Mm -hmm. it can impact so many jobs. But if you're, you know, sitting at a desk, if you're doing different things, if you're doing paperwork, although it can still be deeply impacted, when you're working one on one, like in lifetime with a human and you're feeling off, it's just like, you're so torn. I feel like I can resonate with that sense of like not feeling present at times. And sometimes I feel like my brain is even trying to catch up right with the work I'm doing. Like, oh my God, what did they just say? Was I thinking about something? Was I listening? Like all of these things that can just deeply impact our work. And it's just so hard and such a big part of what we do of like, if we're not on like, you know, our 90% to 100%, it's, it's so tough and it happens all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I even got to the point where I considered removing myself from some of my cases, especially the ones that needed the most support, because I just felt, you know, that at the moment it was almost like a disservice, right? At least I felt that way. When you're passionate about what you do, you take pride in being able to uh, be of help, right? So for me, it was definitely uh, it was a conflict there. I had an internal conflict, whether do I continue to stick through it, you know, and get through it, or, you know, do I feel like maybe I have to go in a different direction?
0: And so this was after, because I can absolutely relate to having off days and also off seasons. But you're talking about an off season here where you had multiple off days in, you know, how long, do, how long was this period going on for? Would you say where you, you were noticing your work was suffering?
2: Well, I went through this. Uh, so this is something actually that has been, it happened on and off in my mm-hmm. in the course of my life, my early adulthood, right? Um, so it would, it would come like by seasons, like you mentioned. Um, I just didn't know why it would happen. Right, but it would come. Um, it was basically ever since I graduated high school. After I graduated high school, I started to experience episodes of that. Right, and then it would come and go like by seasons. And then this last one that I'm referring to was the one that I felt affected me the most. Right? Because at that point, I'm already a father, so I'm trying to not only provide services, uh, you know, for children and individuals that need support, but I'm also raising, you know, my son as a single father. And I'm trying, you know, I take great pride in being available for him, emotionally available for him as well. So this one, in this last situation or last episode, I would say, and the one that really prompted me to say, okay, like, I can't just continue going through seasons like this and, like, wait for it to just go by and say, oh, you know, it's, it's something that is temporary. I need to find, you know, the root cause of this and really try to manage it and see what's going on.
0: I can so relate to everything you just said um, I feel like you maybe decide describe some of my patterns as well um, and I know for me there's a lot of internal dialogue I have with myself when I'm noticing that I am not being present with either my family or in my work and a lot of my internal dialogue is is, is, is a little shame based and you know feeling guilty and really wanting to be there for these people but knowing that I don't have it in me to give. Um, but I'm curious, what what is your internal dialogue like? Um, how what were you talking to yourself or saying to yourself when you were noticing that you were not fully present for the people you wanted to be there for?
2: Really, it was you know it was just a lot of confusion. I didn't know it was just very. I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of it has to do with the anxiety that was um, surrounding that situation, and just a lot of what if questions, right? And me having to answer what if what if um, I can't continue doing this, what if I'm not available to be of support, not only for these families that I work with, but for my son and the people in my personal life that need me to be okay, Um, so it was, that's what really was, that that internal dialogue was really consistent on that, it was really, you know, these what if questions that would really Mm -hmm. raise anxiety and just fear, and it would produce a lot of undesired emotions, right, so Mm -hmm. having to cope with that was was definitely uh, difficult, (laughs) to say the least.
1: What did you do next? You noticed this pattern, this kind of season you were in. You noticed it impacting your work, your personal life. What did you yeah, do? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, um, so first, you know, I did go out and seek help. So I did see, you know, a therapist myself. Um, I think traditional talk therapy, one-to-one therapy, wasn't um, kind of giving me the results that I wanted. Right, especially being in the field, I almost felt like when I would come into sessions, I almost felt like I was. Mm, how would, I, how would I say? I was almost like, kind of. I really knew what they would ask me, or why they were asking me certain things. So I wasn't really open and being, being being really receptive to the therapy. So I felt like that wasn't working for me. And then a lot of that therapy was followed by medication regimen, and a lot, the lot of a lot of the support that I was receiving was felt like very generalized interventions and coping strategies that I had I had perhaps already you know tried myself um, being familiar with them. And, you know, I, I think it got to the point where one day during therapy, uh, working with the child that I was working with, um, you know, I was, I was doing a new initial assessment and I was trying to, you know, jot down all of the maladaptive behaviors and interventions that we're going to be using and things like that. And then it just hit me. It's like, okay, I'm here creating a treatment plan, right. For maladaptive behaviors, um, uh, both covert and over behaviors, meaning thinking patterns, uh, you know, emotions and things like that, and finding ways to, to, to not only deal with them, but find the root cause and and factors that that affect it, that could be contributing. And I was like, this is, this is what I need to do with myself, right? I need to really take a step back and really identify what are the factors that are maintaining some of these behaviors, some of these undesired emotions. Um, And I, from that moment on, I feel like I really dive into just educating myself more on, um, mental health and not only mental health, but just the factors that can contribute to poor mental health, right? So like the biological factors that could, that could affect uh, mental health and they can manifest themselves as anxiety, fear, or any other undesired emotion, right? So I think that was a turning point for me for sure. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Since you're here, we're going to assume
1: that you already like learning from other people. And if you want to take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join
0: us on the network. The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work.
1: Yes. And we value the bad therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast. And it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the therapist network. And it's just a gift that keeps on
0: giving and you really should come join us on the therapist network. Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network, and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners. It's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself, and I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you wanna access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care and sign up for free today.
2: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If Only in Theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey?
1: <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?
1: It sounds like you were taking, you had this moment, like you were working, doing, you know, using the skills that you learned. And then you were like, okay, maybe this is what I need to apply to myself. It sounds like that's what happened. Like this little like light bulb went off.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I really took a step back. I started journaling, which is something like in in, in the field that I work in, in behavior analysis, you know, data collection is everything. It allows us to identify patterns. It allows us to know where to intervene and things like that. So, you know, I was like, what, how can I take data on myself, on my own behavior? So I started journaling and then, you know, it really, you know, journaling really provided me with the opportunity to really see everything that was going on from a different perspective and then really come in and and, and give myself a different opportunity or provide myself a different consequence and take a different route than what I've had done before.
0: So did you make a treatment plan for yourself?
2: (laughs) Um. So, yes, I, I would say so. I mean, I think part of the treatment plan was, and just like we do in behavior analysis, when we have a new, a new person that we work with, um, we want to rule out medicals, right? Before we even step into providing any coping strategies or treatment interventions. Um, and that was the first step for me. I was like, okay, every therapist and, and person that I go see for my symptoms and they're providing me with coping strategies, but they're not really hinting out what's going on underneath, right? So it was the underlying factor. So when it got to that point where I need to rule out medicals, I was like, I need to find someone that can give me a thorough medical examination or rule everything out so that I can for sure say, okay, we need to work on my mental health. right? And I think that was, you know, that was the biggest step. And it really um, underlined a, uh, an imbalance that I had, a hormone imbalance, right? And I think mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was really the biggest factor that the hormone imbalance that I had was really manifesting itself through through many different undesired emotions and, and sensations that that were a lot related to to that condition, right? That underlying condition.
0: So it sounds like pulling back and getting the holistic, a much bigger perspective of what you were feeling, how you were showing up in the in the therapy room or with your son, and what was pulling you away from being present with your loved ones, when you pulled back, you were able to look at you know, not only your thought patterns, but also behavioral triggers and, um, you know, biological influences. And it sounds like you were the one to really put these puzzle pieces of your own mental health, ex- or your own mental experience, mental health experience together. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's really what made me want to start applying behavior analysis um, outside of autism, right? And to help individuals with mental performance habits and overall health and wellness right um, because it was for that for because of that for that reason um, because i feel like with behavior analysis is so closely associated to autism therapy mm-hmm. but behavior analysis is really um, just an application of behavior science right and and we can use and behavior is everywhere everything that we do you know from our internal thinking processes to everything that's observable and measurable right mm-hmm. so you know that's what really prompted me to Kind of take the route that i'm where i'm at now or through my private practice i, I try to help individuals uh, in that way
0: your own success you're your own first success client
2: i think i think one of the most difficult parts of that was even even though i was able to identify the underlying situation that was contributing to my inconsistencies per se there was already a learning history there a conditioning history there between those thoughts and those patterns and Mm -hmm. and my behavior patterns, those emotions and emotions. So it's almost like, even though that was accounted for, I still have to continue my treatment plan and continue to kind of desensitize myself from all of this poor conditioning that I went through or I put myself through, right? So that's really what I try to do now with the individuals I get an opportunity to work with is try to help them almost like cut their their path in half, right? So they don't have to go through the exact whole process that I went through. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's so funny where I feel like I don't know how often either of you hear this, but like I feel like sometimes even with my clients or even my personal life, people are like, oh, you're a therapist? Like you must be like so mentally well. Like you must use all the skills. You must do all the things. And I think we have an awareness of it, but we don't always use the skills that we say. But it's like this just makes me laugh a bit because it's like you really did in that situation. You were like, yeah, actually, like I'm doing the things that I'm saying. I'm doing the things I'm talking about to people. And it just makes me think of how often I hear that. But then hearing your story, it feels like such a great way to highlight it of like, we really can use the skills. And I think we do subconsciously a lot of the times, but again, there are times we don't, which is also okay. But just hearing it makes me think of that. I feel like I could ask so many different providers, like therapists, like, have you ever heard
0: this from somebody? And I feel like most of us would say like, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it only once or twice. Most people know I'm completely unhinged. So they don't even ask. But I do like that their story not only highlights that we can use them, but also the effort that is required for us to use these skills. Sometimes at least I catch myself just assuming I'm using coping skills because I know they exist, but it really does yes. take that present moment awareness and commitment to improving and changing. and. Um, I really like the effort that you highlighted behind all of that as well. Um, that it does take a lot of effort for us to use our own skills on ourselves.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, you know, for therapists and the therapists need therapists too. So we need we need to be okay. I feel uh, in order for us to be the best version of ourselves uh, and be of help, you know, to those that need it the most. So that's that's definitely one of those things that I take a great pride in. You know, to always check in with myself.
1: Well, I feel like it highlights too, like we do talk about that all the time that, you know, it's great for therapists to be in therapy, but also like the right therapy, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. just have to do traditional one-to-one talk therapy if that's not what's working for you. And it's okay to change providers because it can be difficult to be a therapist in therapy and even being a therapist to another therapist, like, right? It, it can be a complicated dynamic. So for you to recognize, like, I tried this and it wasn't supporting me in the way that I needed, like we can seek different types of therapy, different types of support. And I feel like this highlights that so well, additionally, of like, it's okay to do something different as
0: well for ourselves. And how those different pieces fit together, and you were able to get that whole
2: picture. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's such an important point to drive home is, you know, especially like for us in in the behavior analysis field, where, you know, we're so focused on what we do. um, But the importance of being able to be open to multiple disciplines and being able to collaborate with them and, and see different perspectives, right? And see what works for you, you know, and see what, what really works for you. And when it comes to talk therapy, one-to-one therapy, uh, mental health coaching, you know, a lot of it has to do too with the dynamics between the therapist and the coach, the therapist, I mean, I'm sorry, the therapist and, and the patient, right? And you may, the, may, the first person you meet you may not be, you know, the person that can help you the most, but it doesn't mean that therapy won't mm-hmm. be effective, it just mm-hmm. means you need to and you need to look at different avenues and see what are the ways you can help yourself. But ultimately, what you need to do is seek the help.
1: Yes, we love that. That's awesome. So, Jonathan, if there was someone who was in similar shoes to you, a similar situation, like anything we've talked about today, what advice would you share with them?
2: I would say to practice, com- like, self-compassion and, mm-hmm. and don't not be so hard on yourself, you know, like uh, just because we're therapists and we're in the helping field and we're working with vulnerable populations doesn't mean that we have all the answers. And I feel that when we feel that we're not at our best, it's okay to seek help ourselves. Even though we're in this position where people look up to us for help, it's okay for us to also seek the help and make sure that we're okay before we can really render the best service to to those that need it the most.
1: And I feel like too, like I want to just re-highlight with that piece, like you're saying, but also the help that feels right for you. Like that's what I keep coming back to of like, I really stick to your story and I admire it so much of like really kind of having that insight and reflection and intention, like Catherine was saying of like finding the right help for you and what that looks like.
2: Absolutely. I think, again, thank you so much for just allowing me the opportunity to share that story. I think, you know, a lot of my colleagues already see me as someone who, you know, does things differently in our field because you know, so much of the behavior analysis, like I mentioned, that we do, we do it a lot with with children with special needs, right? And then to see, you know, myself stepping out outside of the autism spectrum and, and trying to help others in many different ways, I think, you know, uh, an opportunity like this one is, is definitely something that will highlight the importance of, of being open to to applying behavior science just to improve quality of life overall. So, thank you again so much for the opportunity.
1: Of course, and if people do want to learn more about what you're doing, if they want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you?
2: Well, mainly through my social media, so through Instagram, and that's at my ABA coach. Um, that's my primary um, handle, I guess you would say. I have another personal one, but this is the one where everyone reaches out, you know, when they have questions. Where I try to be the most support for everyone is through through my ABA coach on Instagram.
0: Thank you, Jonathan
2: thank you so much. Thank you again for having me.
0: And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for this week.
1: Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the bad therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague.
0: Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story.
1: Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect.
0: And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to StopBadTherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday.